Hey, good morning, City Light Church. Good morning, we made it. We're here, y'all. Good work. Grab a seat. My name is Gavin. It's my honor to serve as one of the pastors here. And uh, wow, a lot of people standing. Uh, as you sit, you mind scooting? Let's go to your right, if you don't mind. If there are open seats to your right, you mind scooting? That would be wonderful, unless you don't care about them standing in the back, and then, you know, you just have a cold heart. So just pray that it warms up, and uh, I'm just kidding, kind of. I'm kind of kidding. Hey, y'all, it's the first morning in this new space, and I couldn't be more excited, and uh, it's just going to be a unique morning, like I'm learning now that the vents blow on my Bible. They're, we're all doing this as the first, look at this, turning pages. Maybe the Lord wants us to be in the next book of the Bible, First Thessalonians, here we go. It's providential. Um, we're going to get this figured out. We're going to make it through. I want to say this. For some of you guys, this is your first morning ever as a part of the City Light Church family. And to you, I want to say welcome, welcome, welcome. We're going to have you stand up and introduce yourselves. to. I'm just kidding. Some of you just panicked. They're like, wow, I think uh, there's another church I'd be happy to go to down the street. And uh, in all seriousness, is there any way we can turn off this vent or I'm going to be chasing notes the whole time? I'm going to hold them or some duct tape. I can tape them down uh, for real. If, there, if we could turn off the vent, this could be a problem for the next 45 minutes to two hours, uh, depending on how long I decide to preach this morning. Thank you, Dr. Vaughn, for shutting that off. So some of you are brand new, and I want to say welcome. We are so glad you're in the room. We're not going to make you introduce yourself. Uh, but I want to say that in some ways you are here as a part of something brand new. Some ways you are here, a part of a story that's about five years old, and in some ways you're here uh, joining in a story that's been written as old as time itself. And so here's what's brand new. Some of you are a part, well, all of you, all of us are a part of the first ever gathering of City Light Church in West Omaha. And so, yeah, we're all new in a sense here this morning. And uh, we believe that Jesus has a great work to do all over our city, including this part of our city, uh, that this is really the beginning of a new story that God is going to write of multiplying disciples and churches for Jesus in our city and in our region. Hold still notes. Uh, but City Light Church is not brand new. City Light Church is a story that started being written about five years ago. And uh, uh, there was a, a small group of people who got together and started to pray. Chris reminded us last week that City Light Church was not born in a boardroom or in a strategy room or in a whiteboard room, but in a prayer room. Small handful of us uh, in a little house in Utah, actually, of all places, on our knees praying that God would do a new work in our city, that he would use us to multiply disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, and multiply churches uh, through the city, region, and the world. And uh, we started a little core team five years ago, and we started to very simply preach the word of God and sing songs to Jesus and gather in homes uh, to make disciples of Jesus. And that little group quickly turned to 70, quickly turned to 1,000. And uh, this morning, we are a part of the City Light family of churches that's composed of five churches. We have City Light Omaha, City Light Benson, City Light Council Bluff, City Light Lincoln, and Providence Church. And the mission for all of these little local churches is to multiply disciples and churches. And so we are a part of a larger family that we have been into. Additionally, this space and this gathering is a part of that original City Light Church. And so we are one church that gathers in two locations and scatters all throughout the uh, city in city groups. And so just as we're meeting at nine, the other half of our church family is meeting in Midtown at 43rd and Nicholas, singing the same songs to Jesus and looking at the same text of Scripture. And so while this is very new this morning, and it's also kind of five years old, 
I want you to know that really this morning, nothing is new at all. Uh, This is the continuation of a story that God has been authoring since the beginning of time. We learn in the pages of Scripture, tape, if you can't get that, I'll take tape. I'll just either one or I'm going to be tied right here. I'll just stay close till that goes off. Uh, There's a story unfolding all around us that God has been writing since the very beginning of time. And uh, that is that God created the heavens and the earth and he created all the living things. Oh boy. Thank you, Donna. Bless your heart. I sh- yes, praise the Lord Jesus until I got to turn the page. All right, we're going to keep that there. It's just a big family, y'all. We're going we're to make it through. Maybe, maybe uh, clothespins might work. Well, oh, there we go. It shut off. Hey, praise the Lord. It's about to get really cold in here. Put your coats back on. Okay, this morning's very new. It's five years old and it's also ancient. God has been writing a story. In the very beginning, God, there is one God, the triune God of heaven and earth. He created the heavens and the earth and he created all the living things and he made the man and the woman in his image and likeness to know God, worship God, walk in relationship with God. But the Bible says that that shortly after our first parents were created, that they rebelled against God, wanted to live independent from God and they sinned against God by disobeying his will and his ways. And in so doing, in the very beginning of time, sin and death and evil entered the human equation. And that where we were once destined to experience God's uh, reward, we were then destined to experience God's wrath. Because we are all sinners by nature and by choice. And yet, it says in Genesis 3 and 15, that from the very beginning, God began a rescue mission. To redeem and rescue all that was broken and dead because of sin. And he has been gathering a people for himself to worship him, to be redeemed and made new in his image and likeness. And that story culminates in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ came to the earth. He lived the righteous life that you and I cannot live. He died the brutal, horrific death that we deserve to die. And he rose victoriously, conquering sin, death, and the devil. And now is redeeming a new people to himself through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And God has sent his spirit to continue his mission. And that spirit-filled missionary agency is called the local church. And for thousands of years, disciples have been making disciples. And churches have been planting churches. And this morning, that gospel baton is at least in part in our hands as we continue the amazing work that God has been doing. And so if you're new here this morning, I want to say welcome into the cosmic eternal story that God has been writing through his church. Now, as Chris said, some of you aren't new. Some of you have been a part of this City Light Church family for years, maybe since the very beginning. And to you, I want to just echo Chris's sentiment and say thank you. So many of you have prayed, have labored, have done the hard work in your living room of making disciples, teaching people how to walk with Jesus. You have given generously. Some of you are still recovering from assembling all the cheap IKEA furniture in this building. You've been here all week. If that's you, we're going to pray for your blisters. There's going to be a healing service after the church. Uh, We're going to make it through. But I say that to say this morning is a team effort. Uh, It's been a hard year. It's been a long year. We've raised a lot of money. We've done a lot of work. And uh, in some ways, I just want to lay down on this stage and take a nap this morning. Can I just do that? Would that be uncomfortable? It would. It would. But it's been a long year. But I want to just remind us and call our hearts to the reality that, that this morning is not a finish line, but a starting line. This morning is day one of a new story that God wants to author and bring uh, glory to his name in this place. And so there's no time to coast, so let's get to work. Amen? Bibles out, fake Bibles on your phone, whatever you got. We're going to go to Colossians chapter 1. 
We've got two verses this morning. We're going to spend the next 22 Sundays in a row, except for Easter, studying the New Testament book of Colossians. City Light, we love the Bible. We love to teach through books of the Bible. And I'm really excited to teach through the book of Colossians with you for the next 22 books. Uh, The book of Colossians is a great book. It's a New Testament book wherein we find the church planner and apostle Paul writing a letter to a new church. And this new church was off to a great start. This new church in Colossae, they loved and worshipped Jesus. They were fruitful and faithful to Jesus. And Paul writes this letter to them to help them continue to mature in Jesus. And we picked this book intentionally because we are believing that God is going to use this text to help us mature in Jesus. What does it look like to root our whole identity, our whole church's identity, in Jesus Christ? That he is sufficient, he is supreme above all things. And so we're going to take a look at this book, and this morning we're going to just hit the salutation, the very beginning, and we're going to deal with some introductory themes that surface in just the first two uh, verses of this great book. And uh, what we're going to see is the Apostle Paul is going to remind these new Christians in this new church of a few things that are true and new of them as followers of Jesus. And so this morning, I want to unpack five truths that are new and true for the Christian who is trusted in and belongs to Jesus. And so, yes, that's right. We have two verses and five points this morning. Welcome to City Light Church. Amen. Grab a snack, bathrooms are on the way, turn on your auto-reply on the email, Uh, we're going to make it through it. So here we go, five points, two verses, and uh, as a new church, here's the first thing I want you to know this morning, if you believe in and belong to Jesus, you have a new identity. Write that down, if you got a program coming in, you have a new identity. Let me show you, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus. Let's stop there. didn't take long. Amen? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Was Paul always an apostle of Christ Jesus? No. He started off as Saul of Tarsus. We read about him in the book of Acts. He was not the guy you wanted showing up on your Sunday morning church gathering or in your city group or in your prayer circle. If you did, you would want to pray with one eye open. Amen? He was a persecutor of the church. Uh, He was violent, overseeing the stoning death of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. He did everything in his power to halt the advancement of the gospel and squash the name and fame of Jesus Christ. But the book of Acts in chapter 9 says that while he was on a trip uh, to Damascus to go and arrest some more Christians, that the resurrected Jesus himself met Saul on the road, blinded him, knocked him down, sent him to uh, Damascus to a a man's house named Ananias, where he then repented of his sins, trusted in the Lord Jesus, received the Holy Spirit. And Saul of Tarsus, killer of Christians, persecutor of the church, became Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, planter of churches. He had a new identity. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Notice that Paul wasn't an apostle by his own will, okay? So Paul um, didn't go to a job fair or go to uh, uh, log into LinkedIn and float his resume. Say, I wonder if there's any apostle jobs available. I've got, a, I've got a will for my life that I become an apostle. We'll just float the resume. Maybe I'll be a fireman. Maybe I will be an apostle. It didn't work like that. His radical conversion and change was the work of God. It was the will of God. It was the doing of God in his life and nothing that he did to himself or of himself. And can I just say that some of you are here this morning 
because this is a new building, because you got a postcard, because you have a really annoying religious neighbor who never quit inviting you to church, and so you thought, if I go once, they'll leave me alone. And there might be a thousand different reasons that we all think that we're in this room this morning, but the Bible would affirm that nothing happens outside of God's will. You are in this room because of God's will, and I would ask, is it possible that it was God's will to bring you here because he wants to make something new in you in 2018, that he wants to give you a new identity? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, verse 2, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Here's what I want you to see. Paul was not the only one with a new identity. When he encountered Jesus, here he's writing to this new church in Colossae. And what's the very first way that he refers to them? Put the verse back up. What does Paul call the church, the very first identity he gives them? New screens, new computers. We'll figure it out. To the what? To the saints. To the saints. Did you know that the moment you turn from your sins and trust in Jesus, the moment you place your faith in him, your identity is changed. What is truest about you is that you are no longer a sinner, but a saint. Right now, you are sitting in a room filled with saints. Some of you are sitting next to a sibling, Marky, and you're thinking, I'm not sitting next to a saint. Some of you are sitting next to a spouse, and you're saying, oh no, I'm not definitely sitting next to a saint. But I want to I wanna quickly clarify the biblical definition of a saint, maybe over and against some common misunderstandings of sainthood. Okay, so the first way we think about sainthood, who is a saint? Well, let's just think about it in our common cultural vernacular. In our common culture, we think of a saint as a relatively good person. Take Willie, the worship leader. You think, man, he's humble, he's helpful, those dimples, that hair. I mean, he is a, we all have a man crush. Sorry, Sarah. Uh, That's his wife over there. Uh, He's a a very attractive man. He's a very, very talented man. And he's, he's a very humble and kind man. You might say, Willie is a saint. What a saint of a guy. Um, by way of comparison, you might say, Pastor Chris, nah, not, not so much. Pretty sure he's done jail ministry on the inside, and that's okay. There's room for that, and uh, we welcome you, brother. Uh, but in our common vernacular, we might say, there's Willie. He had no idea we were just talking about him. Willie is a saint. Chris, we love and accept him anyway, okay? That's culturally how we think of sainthood, generally a good person. Within many church traditions, including the Catholic tradition, to be declared a saint, there's a very formal process that you have to go through. So in the Catholic tradition, you need to be dead for at least five years. That's criteria number one. So none of us in this room, under those circumstances, would be a saint yet. Some of you look like you could qualify, and to you I'd say there's free coffee back there. You can go, we're going to dial in, wake up, look at our Bible. So you need to be dead for five years. You then need to be investigated by a bishop of the church who with a clipboard will examine your life. He will interview uh, eyewitnesses who knew you well and de- determine was this person a servant of God. If the bishop declares so, uh, he files a report. Step three is you then need to perform a miracle after having been dead for five years. That miracle then needs to be um, declared true by an investigation from the Vatican. And then the final stamp of approval, after you've been dead, been declared a servant of God, performed a miracle, the Pope in Rome will then uh, officially declare you to be a saint. You'll be venerated and decorated and canonized in the church. Now, No respect to that tradition or our cultural understanding, but I want to bring clarity to what the Bible says about sainthood. 
The Bible says something very differently. Biblically, the term saint means a person who is set apart and made holy for God. And the Bible teaches that there is one way to be made holy. There is one way to be set apart for God. And it's very simple. There are no committees. There are no investigations. There are no clipboards. You have to do no miracles. The Bible would say that the one and only thing that you must do to be made holy in the sight of God is place your faith in Jesus Christ. Here's how this works. When you trust Jesus, Jesus takes your sins from you. We're going to see later in Colossians in chapter 2, it says that he takes our guilt and the legal debt that we owed and he nails the charges to the cross. The Bible says that we then get the perfect holy righteousness, the law obedience, the God-honoring heart of Jesus is then declared ours as a gift. Propitiated righteousness. Jesus' righteousness gifted to you, given to you. That you don't become a saint by what you've done, by what you can do, by what you have or haven't do, by your time in prison, Chris. <laughs> Sainthood is given to you as a gift. The identity of Jesus Christ given and put on you. And in that moment of faith, when we trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, in that moment of salvation, in God's eyes, you are no longer sinners but saints. That's because when God sees you, he doesn't see you through your sins. He sees you through his son and he declares you to be a saint. So the first thing I want you to see is that the invitation from Jesus Christ is not to start doing something new, but to let him make you something new. It starts with an identity. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints, all of them. Notice he declares all of the church, all who have trusted in Jesus Christ to be saints. So the first thing you need to know if you're a follower of Jesus, if you believe in and belong to Jesus Christ, you are a saint of God. Here's the second thing. Second thing I want you to see in our text is that if you believe in and belong to Jesus, you have a new citizenship. Write that down. You have a new citizenship. Let me show you verse 2. Paul writes to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Now, I love this translation of the Bible. Uh, It's very helpful, but here they've switched a couple words from the original language to help it be more readable, which is understandable, but they've missed something. The actual Greek reads to the saints and faithful brothers in Colossae, in Christ. It is a grammatical tool called parallelism, and by addressing them as saints in Colossae, in Christ, Paul is intentionally reminding them that what's more important than their physical location is their spiritual location. In other words, though they may reside in Colossae, their citizenship is in Christ. Did you know there's a difference between our residency and our citizenship? In college, I spent a summer living in Poland. And for two or three months, me and my buddy Todd and Amy, we lived in Poland. We had a residence there. Todd and I still remember our address. Do you remember it? Husharska Osham. I don't know what that means. I think the second one means eight. But that was my address. I had a residence. We resided in Poland. But though we resided in Poland, it never changed our citizenship. We were Americans residing in Poland. And what Paul is showing us that so too for the Christian, our citizenship isn't our physical resident, it is our spiritual status. And we, if we believe in and belong to Jesus, are in Christ. And so I want you to know that you may live in Omaha, that's your residence, but your citizenship is in Christ. 
You may live in Nebraska, that's your residence, but your citizenship is in Christ. You may live in Iowa, and if that's the true, I am so sorry. <laughs> We've got Sam, our counseling pastor over here. He can work you through some, and we'll, we'll just work. I'm just kidding. Love Iowa. Just wouldn't want to live there. If you live in Iowa, <laughs> your residence is in Iowa, but your citizenship is in Christ. That phrase, in Christ, is one of the Apostle Paul's favorite. He uses it some 81 times in his various letters in the New Testament. He uses it in different contexts to mean different things, but in general, he is communicating that we are hidden in Christ. Our heart resides in Christ. Our soul has peace in Christ. What is truest about us is that we belong to Jesus Christ. Paul, an apostle of Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Colossae, in Christ. I want you to notice that he doesn't place their um, citizenship primarily in heaven in this text. You know, in many religious systems and philosophies, they find at their very center a certain place, a certain ideology, a certain philosophy, a certain teaching, not Christianity. What is at the center of our faith? It's a person, the God-man Jesus Christ. What is truest about us is that we are saints and we belong to Christ. We are hidden in Christ. And I want you to know that on that last day, when Christ comes back again and we stand before him, that will be the only citizenship that matters. On that last day, the dividing lines of this world will be gone. There will be no more political boundaries, no more geographical boundaries, racial boundaries, religious boundaries, economic boundaries. The flags of this world will be flown no more. The only flag that will fly is the banner of Jesus Christ. And the only dividing line on that day will be those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. And that citizenship starts when you believe in and you belong to Jesus. So number one, what's new and true of the Christian? You have a new identity. Number two, you have a new citizenship. Let me show you number three. Here's the third one. If you believe in and belong to Jesus, you have a new father. The Apostle Paul wastes no time in this text. Verse two, second half, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Two verses in, and Paul is going to introduce an amazing truth that for the Christian... God is not a distant, disinterested deity. God is a present and personal father. You know, the Bible gives all kinds of titles to help us understand who God is and how we are to relate to him. The Bible would affirm that God is king and Lord. He is shepherd and he is helper. But the Bible that most saturates the New Testament is that of a loving father. Now, I want to point out that for many of us in our context, that may be a familiar idea. God the Father. But to the ancient follower of God, this, this idea of, of God as a Father would have been revolutionary. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament people of God esteemed God so highly that they refused to use his personal name, Yahweh. They refused to say it out loud because he was too holy, too other, and they were too lowly, sinful, and unworthy. God was the transcendent, sovereign, holy, and awesome, holy other deity. After Moses encountered God's glory on the mountain, what happened? He had to cover his face because it glowed so brightly that people couldn't look at him. He was blinding for having seen the glory of God. And hear me correctly here. I want you to know that none of that has changed. God's holiness, God's standard is no less different. He is no less holy, no less righteous, transcendent, other, magnificent. 
He is creator, we, is crea- we are creation, he is in a category unto himself, but the difference is that Jesus Christ has brought us into his presence. By making us saints, by making us citizens, we now have access that the people of God never used to have through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus has made the transcendent God eminent. He has made the powerful God personal. And rather than running from God in fear, the invitation is now to run to God. To run with the metaphors, to climb into his lap, to hug his neck, and refer to him as Father. Galatians chapter 4 says that when the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, he puts a spirit of adoption, a spirit of sonship that cries out, Abba, Father, Daddy, God, you are my Father. And some of you have wonderful fathers, some of you have terrible fathers, some of you have absent fathers, some of you have present fathers, but to be sure, all of us have imperfect earthly fathers, and those of us who are fathers are imperfect fathers, but for the Christian, we all have the perfect father, God himself. And his father heart toward you is what? It shows us in verse 2, one of grace and peace. What do we get from God our Father? He gives us grace, and he gives us peace. Number one, he gives us grace. What is grace? Grace is the Father's unearned kindness toward you. I'll never forget when my first uh, son was born. The rush of emotion caught me off guard when I saw him for the first time. People had warned me, but there was no preparing your own heart for the moment that you lay eyes on your own child. And my heart experienced a depth of love in that moment that it had never experienced before in my entire life. And I knew that in that moment, there was nothing I wouldn't give for this person who had never done anything for me. This child had not earned my love. He had not done anything for me. And yet he had in that moment, every ounce of love that I could give him. And if my life were required of him, I would have given it without second thought. That's called grace. It's the undeserved kindness of the father's love toward you. His love and care that you don't deserve and you certainly could never earn, that's the Father's grace toward you. And when you have the Father's grace, you experience the Father's peace. That's the second thing verse 2 says. Grace and peace. Peace is a wellness, a wholeness on the inside when even the currents of our circumstances on the outside are turbulent. When you have the grace of the Father's heart upon you, you experience the peace of the Father. A wellness and a wholeness to your interior that will anchor your soul until the day you see your loving father face to face. We have a new identity. We have a new citizenship. We have a new father. And that brings me naturally to point number four. If you believe in and belong to Jesus, you have a new family. Write that down on your sheet. You have a new family. Verse two, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. He refers to these people as brothers. That's a gender-neutral word contextually, which means the brothers and sisters. For the women and for the men, we are a family in the church. Now keep in mind that, I'll just ask you, did, did the Apostle Paul plant the church in Colossae? I'll give you a hint. No. In fact, we don't think that Paul up until this point has ever even been there. He's met one man, Epaphras, that we're going to see later in verse 7, but he's never even met these people. Furthermore, the Apostle Paul is Jewish and they are Greek, uh, two cultural people that had historically clashed with one another. He's never even met these people. They are separated by geography and religion and race and tradition, and yet, because they share a father, 
They're brothers and sisters in Christ. They are a family. It's been a fun week in my home. My sister and brother-in-law are renovating a house currently, and in so doing, they've moved into our basement along with their three children and their Labradoodle. And so now, uh, in my 2,500-square-foot home, there are 10 human beings that eat lots of food, two 70-pound Labradoodles and a cat. And so if I look tired this week, it's been a fun week. And I have to say, as crazy as it's been, it's been fun. Every night, we share a meal, we share some stories, we play with the kids, we trip on the dogs. It's amazing. And uh, even the cat doesn't care for the two dogs and 10 humans, but she is even having a good time this week. We share a bond and a generosity toward one another because we are family. The circumstances of my life this week didn't happen because I picked them. We didn't answer a a Craigslist ad that said, hey, looking for a family to move into your basement with a 70-pound Labradoodle and three kids, we're it. No, this is not something that we chose. It's something that is a reality because we're family. And when family have needs, we respond to one another in generosities. And I want you to know that if you are in Christ, you are not at a church service today. You are at a family gathering. And I think this is an important reminder for us in this setting at the outset of City Light West. You need to get this down. that City Light Church is not a building. It is not a service. It is not a, uh, a business. It is not an organization. City Light Church is a family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ who love and serve and walk with one another as we follow our loving Heavenly Father, God Himself. And so right now, look to your left. I really do it. I'm not joking. Look to your right. These are your brothers and sisters. This is not a crowd watching a show. This is the family of God participating in our Heavenly Father's worship this morning. And some of you, after looking around, will say, yeah, but some of these people are really weird. I saw it on your face as you look left and right. You might say, in no other life circumstance would I be friends with these people. And I would say, that's exactly what I say at every family get-together. I'm thinking, we would not have wound up sharing a meal tonight, except for that it be that we are family. We've all got a crazy uncle, but we're not in this because we have things in common. We do it because we're family. And listen, just like your biological family, you don't get to pick your spiritual family. We're all a little different. Some of us are really quirky and odd, and then there's Chris. (laughs) But that's what makes this thing beautiful. We are an eclectic, diverse family. And I have to say, as as a quick aside, I think that's that's been one of the most defining characteristics of City Light Church that I have enjoyed since we planted. We used to be a little church. Now we're a big church, but we've always been a family. And can I just declare that shiny buildings will come and go, fun events will come and go, but what will never change is that we are all about Jesus Christ and we are a family. The church is a family. Paul addresses the church right away. You are saints and faithful brothers in Christ. So number four, you have a new family. Here's the last one, and I need to wind this down. If you believe in and belong to Jesus, you have a new mission a new mission. Write down a new mission. There is a new purpose for your life. I'll set it up by saying this. Think about this. Jesus Christ, the poor Galilean carpenter who lived some 2,000 years ago, never had a YouTube channel. He never had a passport. He never rode in an airplane. He never sent out a tweet. He didn't have a sick website or a merch table. And yet he has reached millions of people. He has reached me and he has reached you. How? disciple making 
Jesus Christ invested in 12 men over three years. He then commissioned them to go and to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to follow Jesus, to obey what Jesus taught. And since that time, those disciples have been making disciples, which have been making disciples, which brings the gospel to you and me today. And we see the early seed of that in verse 1. Look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle, that means a sent one, just like we are sent. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And Timothy, our brother. We read in Acts 16 that Paul met Timothy when he was in Derby or Lystra. We're not sure which one, but Timothy was a young man. It says that his old man was Greek, his mom was Jewish, and Paul took Timothy and he discipled him. He took him under his wing and he invested him. He taught him how to walk with Jesus, how to teach other people about Jesus. And then it was most likely in Ephesus that Paul and his disciple Timothy met Epaphras. Epaphras was from Colossae. He had most likely traveled to Epaphras, he, or, or to Colossae. He then met Paul and Timothy, who what? Discipled Epaphras. Taught him how to love Jesus, how to walk with Jesus, and how to teach other people to do the same. And then Epaphras, we learn in verse 7, which we'll get to next week, goes back to Colossae. And what does he do? He makes disciples, followers of Jesus, how to understand the grace of God and walk in his truth. And those disciples of Epaphras become the church plant that is Colossae. Disciples making disciples, multiplying disciples. And what we see overwhelmingly clear in the pages of the New Testament is that the assignment for every child of God is to make disciples, to walk with Jesus and to teach other people how to walk with Jesus in the big things and in the little things. And the biblical name for this team of disciple makers is the church. City Light, can I say, we are a family and we are a team. Those are our identities. We're not here to consume. We're not here to be entertained. We're here because we are a family, and we are here because we are a disciple-making team, and we're all in this together. Let me just say it's very easy for churches to get off course and to make their scorecard for success 1,000 different things. How many people in a crowd? How many dollars in a bank? How many programs on any given night of the week? But the scorecard for the church, the only thing that Jesus is looking at is our people walking with Jesus and teaching other people how to walk with Jesus. The programs, the seats, all of that is secondary to the primary mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ. Disciples making disciples. In just a minute, Pastor Chris is going to come up again and talk a little bit more about how we do that as a church family in the context of city groups. Uh, but let me just say this for now. I want to remind us that the commission to be and make disciples is not a dutiful burden. It is the gracious invitation from God. In 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 3, it says that um, our lives are like a house. And it says that on the last day, there's going to be what amounts to a great big fire that comes over our houses, our metaphoric houses. And it says that that which we've built of our lives that is made out of wood, hay, and straw is going to go up in flames. It says, that which we've invested our lives into, which is gold, silver, and stones, will pass through the fire and bring us an eternal reward. And so much of what looks important to us now just won't matter in a thousand years. All of our trophies and trinkets and treasures, you know what they're going to be? Kindling. <laughs> they're going to be kindling. But you know what lasts forever? God and God's word and God's people. And so God has graciously invited us 
to invest God's word and God's people for God's glory. And it's for our eternal reward. And if you know Jesus Christ, you have been invited into something that actually matters. You can invest your life in something that will pass through the flames and on into glory. If you are a follower of Jesus, you've been invited into a new mission. City Light, if you believe in and belong to Jesus, you have a new identity, a new citizenship, a new father, a new family, and a new mission. And let me end our time today with this. Today is not about a new building or a new crowd. It is all about Jesus Christ who makes all things new and who wants to make you new too. Only Jesus can transform a sinner into a saint. Only Jesus can transform a spiritual orphan into a child of God. Only Jesus Christ can take strangers and turn us into a family. Very personally, I want you to know that Jesus made me new when I was 16. I grew up a relatively good kid, but God opened my eyes to the fact that my goodness wasn't good enough. I didn't need to be good. I needed God. I needed God to make me new on the inside. And I trusted Jesus Christ, and I've been learning from Jesus Christ ever since. And although not perfect, certainly, ask my wife, Jesus has reoriented my life around him and in my new identity in him. I am a saint and a son of God. You know what kind of confidence that gives you in this world? He has invited me into a spiritual family, the local church. He has put me on a team that I don't deserve to be on to invest my life in the making of disciples and advancing the kingdom of God. And I want you to know that there is no more satisfying way to live life. The riches of this world cannot compete and cannot compare with the kingdom of God. And so I would ask you, has Jesus made you new? The invitation of Jesus Christ this morning is real and it is for you, for every one of you. If you are here this morning and you have not trusted in Jesus Christ to take away your sins, to give you his righteousness, and to make you new, the invitation is free of charge and it's for you. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you trust Jesus Christ and let him make you new this morning? And for all of us in this room, would you join me as we launch City Light West Omaha and trusting Jesus to make this place a spiritual family and a team to make disciples. A redeemed family, brothers and sisters of Christ, contributing to one another, encouraging one another to become more like Jesus through his spirit and through his power. And can I just invite you to imagine, imagine what this year could look like and next year and 20 years from now if we actually caught a vision, City Light Church, to live like a spiritual family to roll up our sleeves and to pray hard that God would advance his kingdom through us. What could that look like if we started leveraging our lives to make disciples? What if God actually started liberating people right here from working for their identity through trinkets and toys and treasures and started living from their identity as saints and children of God? What would it look like if, if we really believe God wanted to use us to multiply disciples and churches in every corner of the city and of this region and of the world, that the name and fame of Jesus Christ might go forth in our midst? City Light, I believe that's exactly the story that Jesus is writing. A very old ancient story, but a very new story, and he's inviting all of us to be a part of it. I believe that with my whole heart because I know that Jesus shed his blood and sent his spirit that that might be true among us. Amen?